Peter Williams from One O'Clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Let's talk politics. Let's talk to a man who's standing in this year's election for a party that we don't know much about. So the idea of the next uh, few minutes is to find out a little bit more about the New Nation Party, the man who is, I think, the deputy leader of the New Nation Party is Guy Slocum. He is standing in Auckland Central. He's a resident in Auckland Central. So we'll bring him in now. And Guy, great to have you with us here on Reality Check Radio. You actually have a pretty interesting professional background, don't you? I've been reading a little bit about you. Were you a, were you a flying ace at one stage? Well, I'm not sure that ace is right, Peter, and uh, thank you for having me on. It's good to be with you. Um, I, I had a passion or developed a passion for flying uh, from the age of about five, and I was lucky that the British government at the time was short of fighter pilots, and therefore they had a lot of incentive schemes during my teenage years, which enabled me to get a glider pilot's license at 16, a private pilot's license at 17, uh, and enter the Air Force just after that. And uh, I was lucky to be there at the right time of the Cold War. Uh, so I spent a lot of time uh, chasing Russians around the Iceland and the North Sea. And I did that for 12 years. I got to the point of running my own outfit. Uh, and then uh, I, I left and went into commerce. Chasing Russians around the North Sea. That sounds very dramatic. You can make some movies about that guy. Did you, did you catch any? Yes, we caught them all. I mean, without uh, dwelling too much on, on this subject, the height of the Cold War was such that they were regularly practising uh, anti-UK um, and anti-Northern Europe runs to a point where they would release a missile if uh, hostilities had uh, got underway. So we had to intercept them and be seen to intercept them before they got to missile release point so that they knew that if hostilities ever did get underway, uh, we'd zap them before they could release the missile against the ground target. Very good. So you left aviation, left uh, being uh, a fighter pilot for the for the Air Force, and you went into commerce. What kind of commerce were you in, mainly, Guy? Well, I was very lucky that uh, my, my last tour was in the Ministry of Defence, uh, so I had London at my feet, and, and frankly, I wasn't too sure. Uh, I knew I wanted to um, build a second career. I knew that uh, I'd have to go down to the bottom of the heap and then come back up, and I found a wonderful um, a private investment bank. Indeed, it was the only private the only investment bank in, in London called Robert Fleming, and they seemed to warm to my uh, rather pushy attitude and put me on a fast-track uh, management uh, process. Uh, and I went round all the departments. I got on the board uh, of their uh, sales and distribution outfit. But, you know, I really didn't like corporate life. I still believe in my naivety that it ought to be enough to be good at what you do. Uh, and, but unfortunately, uh, you have to call up the greasy pole of your boss's office uh, in order to get promoted. And uh, that was something I refused to do. So I left for my own international investment company. We ran for 30 in 18 countries. Well, this one was the 18th. 
Uh, and uh, I sold that four years ago, and now I own and run a natural healthcare company out of Auckland, as well as operating a number of consultancies in sales training and general consultancy. So, Guy, what brought you to New Zealand? Was it uh, coming here to, to run a branch of, of your investment company? No, it wasn't. Well, I mean, I, I, that's what I did, but that, that wasn't the motivator. Um, I was about uh, seven years old when one of my father's friends uh, got divorced at a time when divorce was quite a social stigma in the UK. And he came to say goodbye to that. And I earwigged the conversation where he came is too much. I'm going to have to go. And dad said, where are you going to go? And he said, I've got an assisted passage to New Zealand. And um, Uncle Jerry, as we called him, sent back uh, a number of, uh, of wonderful pictures of the land uh, and, uh, you know, everything we know to be wonderful about New Zealand. Uh, and I fell in love with the place. We had no computers in those days, so I used to go to the library and look up everything I could about New Zealand on my way home from school. Um, but, you know, when you're building an international company, uh, you really don't have time to indulge those sort of uh, desires. So when my eldest child uh, rang me, I was in Brazil doing training for my team there, uh, rang me and uh, asked if she could uh, uh, study law at university at Otago. Uh, I said, only if I can carry your bags. And so we came in, we grabbed a car in Auckland, we drove all the way down to Dunedin, and I found it was even more wonderful than the pictures had told me. And I resolved to come and live here. Uh, so I spent a few years changing the management structure of the company to allow me to step back a little bit. Uh, then I came here and opened the, the office of uh, the business here. And I've lived here ever since. Fantastic. So what's brought you into politics? Because as a relative newcomer, to the country, you would have been, I guess, through some good and some not so good times, even in your, your relatively short time here. What's got you interested in the political scene here? Why do you why do you want to go into Parliament? Yes, I, I I'm fond of saying, Peter, that I'm not getting into politics. I'm getting into public leadership. Um, and to answer your question as to what motivated me in this direction, uh, I am afraid I have to say that I believe our current clutch of politicians and indeed those that have gone before them for some years have long ago forgotten the real job they should be doing. They've forgotten that uh, at uh, grassroots level, at MP level, their job is to represent the people who sent them to Wellington. Uh, and when they get down there, they forget or at least greatly reduce the motivation to represent the people, and they start calling up uh, the the career ladder of party politics. And uh, they forget, and we've seen sadly too much of this recently, uh, they forget that their job is not to dictate to the population of New Zealand. Their job is to lead the population of New Zealand. And I've been a leader for over half a century, and in, in executing my role of leadership, I have always seen it as a job of service. 
you serve your team, you serve the people you lead. And I don't believe our current politicians uh, have that philosophy. I believe that New Zealand desperately needs it. And if I may say so, with the experience that I've got, I feel I can offer that uh, type of leadership. Can we talk then about some of the New Nation uh, Party policies? The one I'm most intrigued by, and it comes under the heading of your seniors policy, but you say you want to give twenty-five, the first $25,000 of income um, and make it tax-free. I presume that's to every New Zealander or just to seniors? Do you, do you want to have a twenty-five k uh, tax-free threshold across the population? Yes, essentially, because one of the things that drives us, indeed the major thing that drives us in our policy enactment and our policy creation is that we object to the way the current political parties come up with highfalutin plans that sound very strategic, very grand, and stretch into the future. We want our policies to create a very effect uh, on the people of New Zealand to improve the environment they currently endure. And affordability is, with the high cost of living, a major factor that leaders who care about the need to address. So for those people, uh, this is not a flat across the entire population. It is for those people who are earning less than 100K a year, they will have the first 25K tax-free. And of course, seniors fall into that category and therefore they're swept up within that same policy. Guy, I look across your policies, across the CDS policy that you've provided me with, uh, also the other policies that you've got set in stone, as you say, on your New Nation Party website, uh, the law and order policy, the farming policy. You've got a lot of common ground with other parties on the right, haven't you, particularly with the, with the ACT Party. Quite a few National Party compatible policies I would suggest, and when it comes to the seniors, they might even be compatible with New Zealand First. Uh, so why aren't you, as an individual, why aren't you and your colleagues working with those parties uh, who perhaps have uh, far more of a chance or do have far more of a chance of being in the parliament because of the strength of their numbers and their history and heritage? Yes, I think there are two aspects to what you're talking about. I think, first of all, there's commonality of policy, and I completely agree that there is much of that across not just the parties you mentioned, but many of the new parties. And I do believe we should be working together. Uh, and I think that uh, really ever since the Tarana by-election, uh, the public have been crying for the smaller parties to come together. And I absolutely support that. We have put out, uh, I was going to say feelers, but actually more than feelers to other parties. Uh, and some of them simply say no. Uh, others say uh, yes, providing we can be in charge. Uh, and others uh, say, uh, well, um, we're, we're OK on our own. Uh, we can do the job without you. So there is um, 
a reluctance to come together. Now, people generally characterize that as ego of the leader. Um, I'm not sure it is. Um, it, it certainly isn't in our case. We've always said that our door is open and that our table has no preconditions on it. Uh, we're perfectly happy to sit down with an open mind and have discussion. Now, having said that, it's a little bit uh, difficult for me to say that today because we've only got about eight days uh, to come together. Uh, but we could do it. Uh, and I think that the point that I'm always pushing with those other small parties is why are you doing what you're doing? Because we're not doing this for the New Nation Party. The New Nation Party is the first party in New Zealand not to be formed out of a desire for political power. We've all uh, got satisfying careers in business that we didn't particularly want to leave behind. But for reasons of leadership that I mentioned earlier, we felt we had a job that we had to do. So uh, we would sit down with any of them. We would uh, hammer out a uh, methodology of working together. Uh, and I think that the main reason they won't do it, and this is speculation, I have to say, nobody has said this to me, but I think that the reason they won't do it is because the leaders feel that if they somehow come together with other parties, they will lose some of their authority. Well, my answer to that is that even if any one of those parties were to become the only party in the land and get all the votes from all the people, that leader would not end up running the country because uh, the country is run by the cabinet. In fact, it's run by the civil service, but it's led by the cabinet. And the leader is, as you know, the prime minister. So I would like to see the parties come together um, with the leaders using their talents to adopt a portfolio within what I might call a shadow cabinet. Um, and I'm thinking of uh, somebody who could be a very good families uh, minister, another one, a very good housing minister, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think if we did that, um, we would retain sufficient authority within the leadership of the individual parties we could come together without losing our individuality by being members of uh, an alliance organization as allowed by the Electoral Commission. And we would go forward as a stronger uh, force, uh, more effective, and to be uh, brutally blunt, more effective for the people of New Zealand. So the parties until- you're talking sorry, Guy, the, the parties you're talking about. I guess, uh, would be what, Democracy NZ, uh, perhaps Brian Tamaki's Freedoms NZ, which is already, by the way, an umbrella party for some other groups, including the Outdoors Party. Uh, Leighton Baker, former leader of the New Conservatives, has now got a party that's named after him, himself. And then there is the New Conservatives. Uh, So are these the kinds of parties that you're talking about that you believe could possibly come together under some sort of umbrella, some sort of alliance uh, to to go to Parliament together, to have just the one umbrella grouping for the party vote? Yes, that would be my proposal. But I have to temper my answer with the fact that we only have eight days uh, to writ day 
Oh, it's it's about eight days anyway. Well, that's right. It's uh, September the time... uh, September the fourteenth. They've got to be declared, don't they? All candidates. Yes, and as you doubtless know, Peter, the um, unlike an umbrella party, which has to be registered, an alliance party doesn't have to be registered. It simply has to be notified to the uh, um, Electoral Commission, uh, together with the component parties that make up that alliance. So we do have time to do it, uh, providing the will uh, can be generated within the sort of parties you've just outlined. But it's the will, and are you still rather sceptical about whether or not that exists? I, I believe that the will is diluted by a misunderstanding of the effect it would have on those individual parties, which is why my approach has always been not let's do this, but let's sit around the table and talk about it. Uh, and I believe that uh, and, and we would do that without any uh, pretense to be leaders or uh, chair or anything. Um, and if we did construct that shadow cabinet, uh, I believe there should be no shadow prime minister. We should simply work together within our individual portfolios as spokespeople of those portfolios, taking the policies forward, working together, and more importantly, Peter, showing the public that we can work together. Because I think the public uh, seeing that kind of cooperation would go fantastic. We now know where to put our vote. Because as I travel around the country, and I've done something like 46 individual roadshows, the um, abiding point that is made to me is that they're sick and tired of the established parties, uh, certainly the main ones anyway. Um, uh, Labour and National are so close together, they no longer offer the choice that they did in previous years, and they really aren't fit for people's votes. People feel that. People are longing for a new political home, and I believe we could provide it well, we in the New Nation Party already provide it, but I believe we could enhance that service, enhance that provision if we started working with other parties. Yeah, well, the polls themselves are showing that support for Labour and National together is is dropping significantly. I mean, for a long time, it was around about two-thirds of the population supported one or other, didn't they? Now that so-called purple vote, i.e. blue and red together, seems to be, well, according to the Roy Morgan poll, it's barely 50%. Uh, I think it was 55% earlier this week, wasn't it? 31 and 24, which is a staggeringly no, low number for the two, shall we say, traditional political parties of this country. That That's saying something, isn't it? Yes, it is. And you talk of staggering. I think what is staggering also is the other percentage of the people who are looking for an alternative uh, political home. Uh, and they're crying out for us to uh, create some sort of unity amongst what I might call the smaller parties. And, you know, I think if we don't do that, um, we are letting the people down. Uh, I constantly uh, have on my lips, are we doing this for New Zealand or are we doing it for ourselves? And I believe we have to do it for New Zealand. The uh, traditional 
left and right are dead anyway, in my view. It is no longer a question of left and right. It's a question of centralized control versus freedom and choice. And at the moment, centralized control is favored by both the main parties and freedom and choice and the ability to get on with your lives the way you want is only represented by the so-called small parties. So what's been the reaction then to the roadshow meetings that you've had? I take it you've been around the Upper North Islands quite a lot, maybe a little bit further afield, but how many people do you get coming to your meetings, uh, Guy? Yeah, the, the, the meetings have been from Kataya down to Invercargill. Uh, including uh, the west and east coast and the middle of both islands. And therefore, it's covered pretty well most of the population. Um, in terms of numbers, uh, they uh, generally range around the 60 to 120. We did have one meeting uh, which was uh, much less than that, and, and I'm not going to mention it because it uh, simply was such a one-off as to, to not be relevant to the answer. Um, but what is also interesting, Peter, and it touches on your question, is that in Kataya, because we streamed all the meetings on the internet, uh, in Kataya we had 3,400 and something uh, online. By the time we finished in the last uh, event, which was Dunedin, uh, we had 33,970-something online. So there was an enormous amount of interest, not just in the room, but people uh, logging on night after night uh, to find out what we were talking about, how we were answering questions, and what they had in store were they to support us. Yes, but 33,000, guys, still a long way short of about 150,000 you need to get the 5% threshold to get into Parliament, isn't it? And therein lies the tragedy of the inability of the small parties to, to coalesce. Well, I agree with the, the, the numerical point you make. I wasn't trying to suggest that, you know, we had a fait accompli because we had 33,000 online. The point I was making was the uh, rate of increase in interest throughout the, the six-week exercise. In terms of uh, coming together um, or, or getting the, the 5%, uh, it's looking a lot better than that. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but um, I'm very confident that uh, because people and I and I'm doing a, a meeting almost every night, albeit locally, within the sort of Auckland metro area, if you like, um, th th there is an increasing commitment to the sort of things we're saying and the sort of commitments we're doing. And at the end of the day, Peter, all we can do is uh, get the message out there, uh, be as relevant to the population as we possibly can. And if they don't want to take advantage of that, well, I don't like that, but I will defend to the end of my life uh, their right to make a choice. All right. Well, let's look at some of your policies here, Guy, and I'm, I'm looking at the law and order policy. You've got it in three sections, the policing, the bail laws policy and the family violence policy. 
I'm particularly impressed, and I think this is going to strike uh, strike a chord. The bail laws policy, return of no bail for burglary, tighten all bail laws, no bail for specified serious offences, and they include sexual offences, serious assault, serious domestic violence, fraud, gang-related crimes, armed robbery, weapons offences, and a prior breach of bail. I mean, who who could disagree with all that, Guy? Well, yes, and in fact, there's three more uh, sentencing courts policy and support for victims, but I'll come back to that in a moment. It underpins a point I made to you earlier, Peter, and that is that everything we do, everything we propose, has not only come from ideas from the population, but it underpins our general principle of common sense. Because if you just take the bail laws that you've just mentioned... One of the problems with these young lads doing their ram raids is that they go before the court the next morning and the court bails them uh, and off they go back to mum uh, and uh, just go and do it again. But if they knew that uh, they are going to uh, um, have their bail as a custodial uh, environment and they're going to go to prison and wait for their court case to come up, I believe that would be a severe deterrent from the sort of things that they're doing. And equally, you know, domestic violence, which is a scourge of this fair land, um, if people know that if they're going to lay their hands on a partner um, and they're going to get taken to court, uh, they're going to serve their bail in jail. And I think that all what I've just said and the points that you outlined will create an atmosphere of don't do it rather than an atmosphere of it's okay to do it, which is what we have at the moment. Okay, you've also got this courts policy, which you've alluded to. Uh, You say you want to introduce night courts. What difference would that make? Is that just essentially getting through the cases quicker? Is that why you want to have a night court? Yes, we have an enormous backlog of cases, some of them stretching out two years or more, and that's unreasonable for two reasons. It's unreasonable for the perpetrator, the arraigned person, who needs their, uh, their, the outcome of their case is, but equally, and probably more so, Peter, it's unfair on the victims. For the victims to have to wait that long to see justice done against the crime that was perpetrated against them is unfair and unreasonable. And so by doubling the number of court sittings by using night courts, we will attack that backlog, we will bring it back to a reasonable time scale, and then we'll have a look at whether we need to retain the night courts or not. Very good. Uh, politics costs money, Guy. Uh, campaign costs money. We've seen the the vast sums of money pouring into the bank account of the National Party from some wealthy people, some big donations, and they've got a war chest in the millions. Other major parties have also got uh, millions of dollars in their campaign bank account. How's New Nation Party go? Uh, you've obviously done pretty well in business. Are you putting quite a bit of your own personal money into this campaign? And, and, and how's the New Nation Party in general being funded? Yes, I've put a fair amount of money in, but uh, generally wrapped around uh, what I'm doing uh, to win the um, Auckland central seat. 
and uh, what I've been doing around the nation to um, uh, to 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 to, to publicise the need for the party vote. Um, because I'll come back to your question in a moment, but I, it, I need to say in the context of your question that one of the problems we have is that democracy has died in New Zealand. And it's died because um, there are no longer representing the people. And so we want to say, and uh, this will come ultimately to answering your question, we want to say to people, vote for the person who will best, the candidate, who will best represent you in Wellington, irrespective of the party they belong to. But put your party vote into New Nation Party so that we can build an army in the Beehive in order to keep um, whatever controlling party is in power, to keep them from doing stupid things and to help them to introduce uh, more population-orientated things. Now, the way we've actually um, uh, financed that is partly by uh, donations, of course, uh, from not quite so wealthy people as national, uh, but we have a wonderful benefactor in the uh, person of the leader of the party, Michael Jacob, uh, who is a very successful businessman operating out of uh, uh, Wellington in the electrical supply industry. Uh, he started the party uh, and he's done an enormous amount to financially keep us on the straight and narrow. Very good. Well, thank you, Guy. It's been really nice chatting to you for the last uh, half hour or so. I know you've got a busy time ahead then in the next few weeks as we lead up to the 14th of October. Are you doing another nationwide run or are you going to concentrate your activities around central Auckland now, around the Auckland metro area? Yes, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm. My own personal uh, responsibility now is supporting uh, our this uh, candidates who are campaigning for the party vote around sort of from Walkworth down to Hamilton, uh, but also, of course, stepping up my own activity uh, because I'm determined that uh, we, um, uh, or at least, support the sorting out of the issues in the central city of Auckland, our largest city. We want to return it to being the proudest city in the South Pacific. Very good. That is Guy Slocum, standing for Auckland Central and the Deputy Leader of the New Nation Party here on Reality Check Radio. Peter Williams from 1 o'clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. The greatest threat to our democracy in our country is the belief that someone else will save it. RCR is on a mission to revive honest media, and now you too can help make that happen. Introducing the Foundation Members Club, the easiest way to support RCR and be rewarded for doing so. Receive exclusive benefits only for members, including your very own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions. And also, our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, delivered to your email inbox every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members and see how you too can join the mission that's making a difference.